Let's pray. Father, your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. I pray that your Holy Spirit, who is in our midst right now, would work through your word to us in very personal way, practical ways, to glorify you and your name today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We begin a new chapter in the Gospel of Mark today, but it's really a continuation of Jesus' response to the Jewish Sanhedrin that we looked at last week. The Sanhedrin's response to Jesus was not very friendly or accepting. Uh, It was very antagonistic. They're trying to trap him, get him caught up and discredited. Uh, They're kind of like our response to uh, alarm clocks sometimes. You know, there are only two instances when people actually hate alarm clocks. When it rings and when it doesn't ring. (laughs) And like that, there are only two instances when the Jewish religious authorities questioned Jesus. Anything he said and anything he did. As we begin Mark chapter 12 today, we need to remember the context because it's, it's really all together in this passage of what's going on here. Jesus has just cleansed the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, By that I mean he kicked out the buyers and sellers of the animal sacrifices. He overturned the tables of the money changers. And as people looked at this, they're they're just stunned at his audacity to do this. Uh, So the Sanhedrin, the ruling body in Israel, religious ruling body in Israel, comprised of the Pharisees, chief priests, scribes, and elders, sent representatives to question Jesus about his right to infringe on their oversight of the temple and religious practices in Israel. And as they questioned him, Jesus really caught them, if you remember, in their spiritual hypocrisy, and he asked them simply, well, what do you think of John the Baptist's ministry? Was that, was that he from God, or was it just human from man? And they realized after talking that no matter what they said, their unbelief would be exposed. They would lose face with the people. So they said to Jesus, we don't know. Well, based on that noncommittal, Jesus then declined to answer their question directly about the source of his authority. Now, instead, he answers their question, though, beginning in chapter 12 with a story which we'll look at today. If you want to follow along, we're in Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a wall around it and dug a vat under the wine press and built a tower and rented it out to vine growers and went on a journey. At the harvest time, he sent a slave to the vine growers in order to receive some of the produce of the vineyard from the vine growers. Well, they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent them another slave, and they wounded him in the head and treated him shamefully. He sent another, and that one they killed. And so with many others, beating some and killing others, he had one more to send, a beloved son. He sent him last of all, saying, they'll respect my son. But those vine growers said to one another, This is the heir. 
Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. They took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? I'll tell you what, he will come and destroy the vine growers. He'll give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to seize him, and yet they feared the people, for they understood that he spoke the parable against them. So they left him and went away. Today we're going to see that Jesus' parables get both personal and practical. In verse 1, uh, tells us that Jesus began to speak to them in parables. Them refers to the delegation of the Sanhedrin he just finished talking with. They just questioned him. Um, and now it gets personal. Uh, actually, Jesus hasn't spoken in parables since all the way back in Mark chapter 4. Now in Mark chapter 12, he gives the Sanhedrin his last parable to help them understand who he is and where he gets his authority. Notice that it says Jesus spoke to them in parables, plural. There are actually two parables here that Jesus is linking together to help them see. One about a vineyard and the other about a temple. Not only do these parables get personal, they're also very different from the parables Jesus has told before. The parables, if you remember, that Jesus told before were meant to hide the mysteries of God. Only those who really uh, were seeking God and to know the truth would it be revealed to them. But these two parables are meant to be clearly understood by everyone, including and specifically these delegates. And they get it. It's personal. They know that Jesus is talking about them, verse 12. The two parables uh, both have to do with Jesus' identity as the Messiah and the Jewish leader's rejection of the Messiah. Both those things, those two parables contain Jesus' identity, who he is, and the rejection the leaders manifest. In the parable of the vineyard, the owner of the vineyard sends messengers to the tenant farmers who reject all the messengers, even the owner's son. In the parable of building the temple, you have the Lord and the builders of the temple and a foundation stone that the builders rejected. Now, because Jesus is talking to members of the Sanhedrin, what Jesus does here in these parables is he's uh, alluding to uh, Old Testament scriptures to help them see the point that he has been prophesied as the son. Um, he's talking to the religious leaders in Israel who know the word of God backward and forward. Um, he's talking to the chief priests, scribes, and elders who were teachers of the law and even lawyers explaining and judging people based on the law what the law said. And what Jesus is saying here may not be obvious to us at first, but it was very, very apparent to them. Let's look at the biblical allusions before we 
uh, unpack it a bit. Uh, Jesus, first of all, in the vineyard parable, he's pulling it directly from Isaiah chapter 5. And they would have known this. <laughs> Listen to Isaiah 5. In fact, he's quoting verse 2 almost word for word. Isaiah 5, 1 to 7. Let me sing now for my beloved a song of my beloved concerning his vineyard. My well-beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill. He dug it all around, removed its stones, planted it with the choicest vine. He built a tower in the middle of it and also hewed out a wine vat in it. And then he expected to produce good grapes, but it only produced worthless ones. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard than I not done it in it? Why, when I expected it to produce good grapes, did it produce worthless ones? So now let me tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I'll remove its hedge. It will be consumed. I'll break down its wall, and it'll become trampled, trampled ground. I will lay it waste. It will not be pruned or hoed, but briars and thorns will come up and will also charge the clouds to rain, no rain on it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah his delightful plant. Thus he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed, for righteousness, but behold, a cry of distress. God planted the vineyard of Israel. He's the owner of the, of the vineyard, and he expects to receive fruit from the vineyard, his people. Like the parable, God sends messengers, like the parable Jesus told, God sends messengers to the people of Israel, his vineyard. For instance, Jeremiah 7, 25. Since the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt until this day, I have sent you all my servants, the prophets, daily rising early and sending them. And like the parable Jesus told, Israel has a history of rejecting God's messengers, as we see in Second Chronicles twenty four nineteen. Yet he sent prophets to them to bring them back to the Lord, though they testified against them, they would not listen. Finally, Jesus alludes to the Old Testament picture, I think, of Jacob's beloved son, Joseph, being sent to help his brothers. <laughs> but the son's brothers, as you know, plot against him to kill him. Genesis 37, 19 and 20, the brothers said to one another, hey, here comes this dreamer. Now then, come, let's kill it. Throw him into one of the pits. We'll say a wild beast devoured him. Then let us see what will become of his dreams. And in the last book of the Old Testament, God promised to send one more final messenger. Malachi 3, 1 and 2, Behold, I'm going to send my messenger. He'll clear the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come into his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he's coming, says the Lord of hosts, but who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. The delegation would have been very familiar with the uh, vineyard analogy and the sending of messenger analogy and the rejection of the messenger analogy. When we come to the temple building analogy. Jesus is quoting directly from scripture. He focuses not just on the idea of their rejection, but on the ultimate reversal 
of the builder's rejection of the stone. Parable pictures actually, I think, exactly what happened in the building of the temple. The psalm is depicting it, remembering what happened when Solomon built the temple. The builders uh, quarrying special stone to lay the foundation of Solomon's temple. Uh, when Linda and I were in Jerusalem, we visited uh, this cave right under the old city of Jerusalem. This is where they quarried the stone. It's a massive, massive... Uh, I'll have more to say about this in another sermon, but the, these were unique limestone stones. I mean... Um, but this is where they quarried them. And they actually uh, trimmed them out to size down here because, according to the law, there was to be no noisy building on the Temple Mount at all. They had to do it all down in this cave. And so what you see down there are all these filings, they call them filings, all the stuff they carved off the stones to make them just right. And Jesus, quoting from Psalm 119, depicting the building of Solomon's temple, he, he chooses it to highlight the rejection of an irregular stone. It doesn't seem to fit. And the great reversal of how it ended up being placed in the most exalted place, in the building of that temple. I believe it actually happened that way. He's recalling... Amazingly, <laughs> this picture, which obviously points to the Messiah. But then Jesus uses two word plays in both of these parables that suggest he's connecting them together. Uh, first of all, uh, in order to identify the delegates of the Sanhedrin as the tenant farmers in the first parable and the builders in the second, here's the first word play. The Hebrew word head is in both parables. Verse 4, he was wounded in the head. Verse 10, this one's become the head. It's literally the word head. Uh, second, the second word play in, in the parables uh, is the word Lord. Same word. Verse 9, Lord of the vineyard. Verse 10, this came about from the Lord. These connections, <laughs> I think, are intended to show us that he's linking them together. The truths that we find in those parables have application to them. And he's putting these parables for them on the bottom shelf. Like I said, they're not a mystery. Uh, they, they got it. Uh, and when Jesus told a parable, like he did with the, remember the Syrophoenician woman, he told her a parable about the dogs. In, in, and you can take a parable one of two ways. You, you can, Put yourself in the parable and learn. Or you can be offended. I'm not a dog. You know, she could have done that. Instead, she says, No, I'm a dog. I, I'm in the parable. I think Jesus is thinking the same thing. Can they see themselves yet? Do they understand who I am? He's putting it on the bottom shelf one last time. So they turn around. Sadly, though, they did put themselves in the parable, but instead of repenting, they took offense. Became even angrier that he would insult them like this. But not only are these parables intended to be personal, they're also meant to be practical. 
Do you realize, uh, first of all, that Jesus is telling the gospel story in these two parables? The father sends his beloved son, the heir. The son is rejected and put to death. But that rejected son, whom they kill, becomes exalted to the chief cornerstone of God's work. That's the gospel. Second practical thing we learn from these parables is we learn how important our response is to this final messenger, this beloved son. Uh, and in the, in the context, we see what Jesus says about that. A favorable response to God's son looks like this. We'll respect him, verse 6. They will respect my son. In other words, uh, honor. Uh, Second, we will acknowledge that he is the he is Lord and the heir. He's the chief. It's the word used. And finally, our response to the son directly impacts our relationship with the Father who sent him. So our response is very important as we look at these parables. The third practical point we can derive, I think, uh, from the parable Jesus is using is from another parable Jesus told to his disciples in John 15. He picks up on the vineyard analogy again. Uh, and he is the vine in, the vin- in God's vineyard. John 15, verses 1 and 2, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. And every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so it can bear more fruit. And then verses 4 and 5, say, he said to his disciples, Listen, abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So he picks up on the vineyard analogy again and brings it forward to his disciples. And just as Israel is God's vineyard, Jesus is the vine in the vineyard we've been grafted into. We are the branches of the vine. And in our vineyard parable that Jesus tells us, we must keep abiding in him in order to bear fruit. And fruit is expected from the owner of the vineyard. But the apostles picked up on the parables Jesus was telling and and pulled them forward for the church. The New Testament tells us we are also God's building, his temple, built on the foundation stone of Jesus. Listen to Peter. He's pulling right from what Jesus uh, taught them there uh, and calls believers living stones. (laughs) 1 Peter 2, 4-6 And alluding to Psalm 118, Peter says, as you come to him, and he's referring to Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves are like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, 
a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Now, Paul picked up on these metaphors and parables as well uh, and tells us that uh, we are being fitted together, growing and built together for God's dwelling place, a temple, if you will, in the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 2, 19 and 20. He says to the Ephesian believers, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens to God's people. Your fellow citizens with the saints of God's household have been, been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus being the cornerstone in whom the whole building, meaning the church, being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord in whom also you are being built together into a dwelling place of God in the spirit. And in our spiritual temple, what's interesting is anyone in leadership, specifically me, other leaders, no matter what you're leading, they are the builders of that temple, the tenants of that vineyard, who will be called into account. Listen to Paul in 1 Corinthians 3, 9 to 11. Again, picking up on the metaphor, and even, I think, perhaps even referring to Jesus' parable, for we are God's fellow workers. Uh, You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Well, the fourth practical point we can derive from Jesus' parables is this. Notice that the uh, first parable talks about um, verse 1. This man planted a vineyard, put a wall around it, dug a vat, wine press, tower, rented it out to the vine growers, and went on a journey. He's an absent owner. Mm. Physically absent. And so these parables teach us we must be very careful. We're cautioned as stewards, tenants, and builders to make sure we're careful how we uh, handle his property (laughs) and be ready for his return. Honor him first in the work we do. I could pull a number of things from this, but Luke chapter 12, uh, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he pulls it forward this way. Luke 12, 35 to 40, he says, be dressed in readiness. Keep your lamps lit. Be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast so that they may immediately open the door to him when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those slaves whom the master will find on alert when he comes. Truly I say to you that he'll gird himself to serve and have them recline at table and will come up and wait on them. Whether he comes in the second watch or even the third and finds him so, blessed are those slaves. But be sure of this, if that if the head of the house had known what hour the thief was coming, he would not have allowed his house to be broken into. You too be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. 
And again, to sum it all up, it's on the bottom shelf. Jesus is talking about himself. He's the beloved son sent from the father. He is the last word, last messenger sent from God to us. Hebrews 1.1, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions in various ways, in these last days, he's spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. Now, just like those religious leaders in Israel, we must decide who we believe Jesus is and respond accordingly. It's in our court. Either we believe that he is the Christ, the Son of God, sent into the world and receive him as Savior and Lord, or we believe he's just another man, good man, with impressive words and works, and reject him. We don't want anybody uh, changing our lives. We're going to continue on just like we want. To those who do believe in Jesus, they are promised the gift of eternal life and become fellow heirs with Jesus. To those who do believe in Jesus, the book of Hebrews goes on to say and exhort us to listen to him, come to him, receive mercy, believe in him to receive the promises, rely on him to meet our needs and realize that in Jesus we have come to the kingdom of God and are awaiting his return to reign. I invite you to come to him, the cornerstone, believe in him, and when you do, as Peter described it, we become living stones full of his life in us and are being built together as a holy temple in the Lord, members in his great house. I urge you to do that if you've never had an opportunity to. Um, Life transformation through Jesus. Don't reject him. Receive him. And then abide in him.